Shoulder of Orion is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more about joining our Patreon, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, J.M. Prater, and I am joined today by my co-host, Patrick Green, his what wife, uh, Micah, and our recurring guest, Dan Ferlito. So thanks for every, for, thank you, everyone, for being on. Hey. Oh, man. I feel like it's been so long since we've recorded. This yeah. is such a treat. Thank, thank you for having me. Again. I'm so glad to be on Shoulder of Orion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're glad to have you back. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a, a long, you know, it's, it's feel, feels like it's been like two months, but it's only probably been about three weeks since our last episode. And Dan <laughs> was a guest there. And we had a lot to discuss. There's always a lot to discuss. But this week, um, we received a letter from someone named Evie, and we all read it, and we were like, wow, this was pretty amazing, and we were all talking amongst ourselves, and we decided that we wanted to read the letter on the show and discuss it and discuss a lot of the issues surrounding this letter and what it means, and so we also asked Evie to be on the show, and she said yes, so she is here. Thank you, Evie, for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I want thank to re- you. I want to read the letter and then um, kind of give you the floor to talk about. You know, you recently you're the of the five of us. You're the one who has recently seen 2049. So I'd love love to get your um, your take on that in context of the the letter that you sent. But I just want to start with reading the letter and uh, we'll we'll go from there. You think I'm a replicant, don't you? Look, it's me with my mother. Yeah? Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. When it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. So, again, we received a letter from Evie, which was awesome, and I want to read it uh, for our listeners and for everyone here, just kind of refresh um, our memories as to what she was talking about. So, I'd come across your podcast only yesterday, and and will more than likely be caught up with it today. I want to say first off that I really enjoyed listening to a group of individuals talking about a universe so passionately with the same love that I have for it. I wanted to say what this story, what this world, and especially what the plight of the replicants means to me. I'm a trans woman. It has been a few years now since I've transitioned, but I do spend most of my day-to-day wondering if those around me can tell, if they know, if they do anything to me, if they knew. Besides who I trust, I don't state it in my day-to-day life. I've had the unique experience of of being seen as normal to a person 
to be treated as an equal, only to be found out and then be treated like less than a person. To be looked down on and, to, and talked down to, to be treated with hostility and violence for something that you cannot help. I connect so deeply with these characters in these films that are replicants. They are shunned, ridiculed, pushed to the edges of society, and forced to make decisions that put their freedom and their lives and sometimes others in danger, all because they, they are denied the same as those around them. They want a life. They want the same shot that everyone else has and nothing more. This, this is why these stories mean so much to me. Thank you for your podcast. So, yeah, uh, very powerful wow. letter. Um, uh, blew me away, blew, blew us all away. And as we dive into that, I want to just thank you, Evie, again for being on the show. Um, I know for some people, I don't know how easy it is for you to talk about this part of who you are. Um, but as we get into that, I want to kind of know how you found your way to Blade Runner. What were your first experiences with the original? Uh my first experiences with Blade Runner were, I think I saw the like original cut, the theatrical cut in college. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I understood how I understood what it was trying to be. Uh, and I was living with someone at the time who was like a really big film buff. And they were like, no, 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 this isn't even like the real version. Like there's the different version and it's 10 times better. And we hunted it down. And then I, I saw it and I, it really struck a chord with me at the time. And this was like, uh, probably about four years before I transitioned. So I hadn't even really had that connection yet. And, um, I'd watched it a couple times and I, I really liked the visuals and the soundtrack to it was really amazing. And I loved the like the philosophical portion of it. Um, and things really didn't connect to me uh, until I transitioned and I watched it again. I think it was probably about like the sixth or seventh time that I watched it when I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. This is, I can really connect with these characters now. Um, having like, gone through this journey in my life to where I have had to be in positions to where like I can't help the way that people feel about me people feel about my identity and there's nothing I can do it I just have to sit here and take it um watching watching news coverage about um, how half of the country feels about trans people, about um, fake fears about bathrooms and stuff like that. To me, this is why stories like Blade Runner are so important. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, because it opens, you know, these are, these are questions that are being posed and it's kind of an allegory to life. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of what we see, um, a lot of what we see in, uh, the film uh, depictions in the film or films like this really are, are reflections of what we're going through as people. Um, and I, I again, um, there's so many layers to this. There's that there's the layer of you as a trans person and really physically not being seen as a person because of who you are. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a moment in well, right now we'll we'll talk about uh, 2019, the original that really as post transition that really strikes a chord with you. Uh, when Rachel comes to the apartment where she's saying like, look, this is like, I'm real. Here's, here's how I know that. And Deckard's just kind of like, yeah, sure. Okay. Like doesn't yeah, really he, know how to handle it. He, he memories. Yeah. And he, he uses 
He's like, no, this is how I know that you're not real. And kind of coming out or coming at it with like raw fact. Yeah. Um, and her just almost kind of realizing like, I'm not even, I'm not going to win this. So why am I going to continue to try? And, and she leaves. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. Okay. Bad joke. I made a bad joke. You're not a replicant. Go home. Okay? No, really. I'm sorry. Go home. That's that's one of those moments where yeah. I'm just like, oh, I, f- I feel for Rachel so hard. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, Rachel is the character, the as everyone knows here, uh, maybe not Micah, but just the character for me that really has, that I carry with me through both films that I feel like is the is the character haunting 2049 and she's the main character. But it's interesting because Dan and I watched 2019 last night in 4K, mm-hmm. which was like watching the movie all over for the first time. Um, it was God, awesome. That so good. Um, but I wrote down some notes because Rachel comes in, again, comes into the apartment and um, I think, and she, like you said, she has these photos and her world is crumbling. And she, if you notice what she's wearing, she's surrounded in this like probably fake fur blackness, like it's darkness. Yes. Um, because she's lost her agency, but she's got evidence of it in her hand and she's kind of pleading her case to him. And to just a couple of quick points that kind of play into this. Um, actually, I think you made these points. I don't know if Avi, if you made these points to me, but so, or no, maybe it was in the book. Okay, there's this book called the philosophy of the philosophy of Blade Runner, and they talk about Deckard. He asks, "Is this owl real?" And they say, "She goes, no, it's synth- synthetic." Whatever her answer is, and he loses of all course, interest. Yeah, he, yeah, of he loses. Not. Yeah, of course not. He loses interest. Then he asks, "Is that?" He asks Zora, "Is the snake real?" And she goes, "You think I could?" afford a real snake and then he loses interest in it so initially <laughs> he's interested in rachel and then he finds out she's not real and he loses interest in her which is another thing that i have had such such shitty uh experiences with too with feeling like you've been found out for not being authentic or something or um quote unquote with uh going on a date and there, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways as to how trans people choose to uh, make themselves known when, when it comes to romantic relationships, some choose to withhold that information until later, until they feel like they've developed a sense of trust uh, while others um, choose to put that card on the table as early as possible. Um, And, you know, feeling like someone is really, you know, vibing with you. And then you say, Oh, by the way, I'm trans. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, you're, you're really pretty, but I'm not into that. Hmm. Um, is another character that I really, I, I, if I have to pick a number two, it would probably be her, even though she's only in the movie for like five minutes. Um, just out of that confident aggression that she's kind of portrayed in. Um, the, like she can just take care of herself. She doesn't really need 
him there. She doesn't want him there, but she's not really threatened by him being there. Sorry if I went on a tangent. No, no, I, I, I no, I, no, no. That I, actually, the subtitle of this podcast is the tangent. So, wonderful. Well, it's interesting. If I ever get too far off topic, just rein me back in. No worries. Oh no, you do. we, we all, all we all do it. Don't worry. Well, it's interesting you bring up Zora because Zora only wants to live. She's not, she doesn't even seem like she has the same. She's doing her own thing. That Batty does, that Roy Batty or Chris. She's just, she's working, she's doing her own thing, and she's not hurting anyone. And no. she's sort of like established herself within the society. Like she's like, has a function. She's made her she own little job. place, right? Yeah, well, she... I, I think I could verbalize that whole sentiment in Zora is blending in. Betty exactly. and Chris are searching for something. Zora is not yeah. on that search with them. In fact, you can't even tell whether really she'd rather just be left alone to live her life as a as a performance artist, or maybe that's a stepping stone to something else. But she certainly doesn't seem to have any interest in talking to Tyrell, etc. The way uh, so right, she doesn't right. want to make waves or or be found out. So she's Zora just, is the the stealth trans woman working in the sex work industry. That's just doing what she does to make ends meet and she really has no interest in the ultimate like plight of the community right which is being accepted as real and genuine mm-hmm. or at least the, it sounds like that's part of it I, I feel like i feel like zora's death is one of the most affecting things in the oh. World, oh yeah honestly. oh my gosh because because it's so clear that like that she she wants nothing more than to just live her life you know Exactly. Like she just wants a chance to just to just do her thing. She's not trying to hurt anybody. She's just no. She's not even on any kind of like a mission. She's just trying to like to to live and fit in, like like Dan said. And then she, uh, just like the visual uh, trope of, mm. of breaking through glass over and over again, like the yeah. self harm that that means. It's mm-hmm. just like so sad, and she's just being hounded. And and and, and everybody's watching when when she's yes. found. That's yeah. Everybody can see her, and it's translucent. It's literally she's wearing a clear dress. And she's breaking through window panes, mm-hmm. and she's being pursued by a man who does not want to kill her. You on know, on the street in like, front of everybody. And, uh, yeah, on the street in public, and it's just this really public, humiliating, horrible way to go. That uh, yeah, Zorro sticks with me too. And, and you have Rachel watching all of this unfold, watching yeah. Decker yeah, she's shoot chilling. one of her own kind. Right, right, and she's still not even. You know, she's not even like come to terms with the fact that that is part of her identity herself. How do you, Evie, like, there's always, I mean, I know that these types of stories, science fiction, they're, they're, they're about asking questions. They're about asking great questions. And it's, sometimes it's not about the answer. It's just about the questions. And it's the questions that drive us to be better people. Like, I, and I'm curious, like, of course, in the world of Blade Runner, the answer for, you know, the people living on Earth is, well, they don't belong here. They need to be somewhere else, which is interesting because that's also an answer that I feel like has been given the trans community. Well, whatever, but you don't belong here. You don't belong in this bathroom. You don't belong over here. So where, where do you mm-hmm. belong? How does society, uh, and we can use the term replicant or trans person, how does society come to grips with that? Like, it, it, the... How I see it, and we'll get into these topics, uh, just even in terms of like Micah being a cisgendered woman um, or me being someone of color or also gay um, and all of these things that kind of are, um, they're almost 
you you put like because even historically women aren't seen as people. They were property. Marriage was a a, 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 mm-hmm. a an exchange of property from the father to the new owner. I mean, there's all of these things at play um, where. Um, you are only human if you are straight, white, heterosexual in control. Um, yes. It's, and then Dan and I were talking earlier today, though, about how all of us, no matter who we are, have always struggled with or in our own way with who are we, where do we belong? Kind of the basic questions. Um, yeah, the universal questions. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you ponder, you know, you're seeing versions of your story unfold in Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. How do you, um, what's the way forward? Um, I don't have the answer to that. It's, it's a big answer. Yeah. It's a big question. What, you know, what's the way forward? Um, the only thing that I can see is that, um, Refusing to give up and refusing to die and refusing to be erased. Mm. Um, you know, I, I refuse to go away. And all of the other people, all of the other trans people in the Chicago community that I talk to all feel the same way. We refuse to go away. Um, we refuse to make it easy for people to erase us. Um going back to the bathroom thing and how it relates in my mind with, you know, the, the, the replicants in Blade Runner is that they're, they can't be on earth. It's illegal for them to exist in public, you know, on the planet, they have to be off world. And with the bathrooms, it's not just about where, you know, we can relieve ourselves. It's about, systematically making it illegal for us to exist in public because if you can't go to the store and feel comfortable about whether or not you'll get assaulted if you go to the bathroom it really it stops a lot of us from wanting to go out it stops a lot of us from wanting to go to a club and dance or go shopping um and it's it's about erasure and it's one of those big things as to why I connect so strongly with the replicants because they have been erased. Right. Cause even if you could make it to a particular venue for say, okay, food shopping, for example, you know, takes you an hour, hour and a half. You're like, yeah, I can handle not going to the bathroom for an hour and a half. Right. Like even if you can overcome the practical aspect of that, it seems that just the fact that it's there is a reminder that you are on some level less accepted in society and less able to just live your life without being constantly reminded about where you don't belong, where people look at you differently. So, I mean, I, I can see that being a very debilitating It's on your thing. mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it's on your mind all day, every day. I, I still don't use the gym bathroom. I still don't use the changing room when I need to. I would love to fucking use the steam room at the gym, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It's something that I just won't do. Right. It's so mind-boggling because, like, I mean, you're just trying to exist being honest to who you are. And Mm -hmm. that should not deter you from doing such basic things like feeling comfortable going to the store or feeling comfortable just walking out the door. Like, you should be able to... You shouldn't have to hide for other people. And I mm-hmm. feel like that 
is something that is similar with replicants and yeah. probably how you feel as well. Like that is crushing to me. And I am, I, I can't imagine having to deal with that. Well, cause it's, it's like, what's a more fundamental right than taking a shit, you know? Like, <laughs> Right. I mean, like, like, like what, what, what's more basic a human dignity than, than that? Mm-hmm. Right. Part of me yeah. feels like, I don't, I don't know if, if you, if you notice this within the trans community or elsewhere, but that the, the increased visibility of this regressive pushback against trans rights, I, I think is maybe a sign that this notion of the, of a, of a non-binary gender appreciation in the world at large is kind of coming out into the open now that like that more people are aware that gender might not be a binary thing and that the way we've set society up uh might be really exclusive for a lot of people mm-hmm. and so because of that so so it's not even that um so so although like there's a lot of really terrible things in the news and, and this whole the whole bathroom thing is just such a visible example of that um, and it's just ridiculous and it's just and it's just rid- it's it's fucking so crazy it's, it's crazy but on top of that I feel like it might ultimately be a be a good thing. I I would hope because it Maybe means that people are at least becoming aware. Something. You know, yeah. Right. I think yeah. I think that that as the struggle becomes more public, which undoubtedly, I mean, I moved to this country in '94 from Italy, uh, which brings my own issues with being bicultural and fitting in and knowing when knowing when I'm allowed to feel 100% American or 100% Italian amongst my peers, which I've never felt either, which is a different type of struggle and, and something else. But that's how I kind of relate to this a little bit. Yes. Um, but yeah, coming over and learning more about sexuality growing up uh, was interesting. And I think through the 80s and 90s and 2000s, that became more prominent and it was being more talked about, talked about in schools, like all that kind of thing to where the fact that, yeah, on average, you know, they throw out the number of like 10% of populations, whether they report it or not, are homosexual as opposed to heterosexual. And just that mm-hmm. fact in itself means that you're bound to interact with people um, of a different orientation than you if you're straight, for example. I also live in the Bay Area, so it's a very open place where gay people are generally speaking allowed to blend in fit in act out whatever they want you know and treat it pretty much mm-hmm. like normal people <clears throat> i think transgenderism or uh just gender identity in general is a much newer thing in the public sphere uh not that it hasn't been around for a long time but it's been talked about way more recently which puts puts your struggle, Evie, and, and people in similar situations to you kind of behind uh, in terms of timeline, right? It's like um, it's like women got the right to vote. Eventually, black people got the right to vote. You know, eventually, uh, homosexuality was sort of removed on state and federal levels for the most part, not 100% yet, but in terms of discrimination laws and things like that. And the transgender community is behind all that. They're kind of one of the last bastions of um a treatment of a minority group that we just accept in society it's okay to treat differently you know we're, we're still behind on that progress and i think that like you were saying about dying breath and and some of those things that are ugly are a sign that it's come out more in the public and it's being fought i mean some of the ugliest things to happen to the black community and between blacks and everyone else in the 60s were part of a reaction to the civil rights movement, right? Which certainly was 
one of the most powerful things to have happened, but it also came with really obscene violence and death and, I mean, the killing of all these leaders and, and all those things. So I, I think that's part of it. As things come into the public sphere, people start to fight harder. The pushback also gets more intense. And so mm-hmm. it, in, in the bigger picture, that may be a good thing. Yes. Yeah. It's the, the media presence is a double-edged sword. And, I mean, going back to the civil rights and the, the 60s and stuff like that, um, it, it wasn't the first time that had been tried. It was the first time that had been televised. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly. why things went the route that they did. Right, it was in the public um, consciousness, yeah. It, it, forced, it forced the American population to look at it and go, oh, maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. Right. Right. Um, I really hope that's happening now. <laughs> I, I hope it is, too. Uh uh, going back and, and thinking about like the, you know, how LGBT rights began, it, it began with a trans woman throwing a brick through a window and it got to a certain point and people got really happy with where they were. And then trans people got forgotten and they got left in the dust. Right. And uh, it's been pretty much a mainstay in trans culture and trans community that we don't have anybody to count on but ourselves because it's Um, like society is just finally becoming okay with the notion that sexuality isn't necessarily something that mm -hmm. is like standardized and easy to identify and that it's like they haven't even considered gender yet because i I feel like most most you know people uh assume that they're kind of the same thing and they're obviously not yeah can i ask a dumb question evie Sure, because <laughs> I have I have a lot of dumb questions, but th- this is and I, I know we're kind of getting away from Blade Runner, but um, no, it's okay. What, what are, do you have any, are there any things that um, listeners of this podcast or just people in general can do to to be you know better allies to the trans community or to to um to help out with with any of this? Like, it's not a dumb giving... question. Just be accepting and be willing to learn and be willing to make space for people that haven't had space in public places before. And even if you don't understand, you'll get there, you know, especially uh, when you don't understand, I would add, I think especially it's, it's when you don't even understand. more important because it's yeah. easy when yeah. you understand. It's very easy when you understand. Um, right, and, and if you, if you have family members that are particularly shitty towards a certain group of people, Maybe, you know, throw that in, throw the dialogue, be willing to have an awkward conversation every once in a while and kind of throw that in their faces. Mm. I'm not saying to get in and get into an argument with your parents over Thanksgiving over it. I'm saying, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, if it depends on on how, depends on how well you like your, your parents, right? Just, Make sure that you don't see us get erased. That's beautiful. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Hey, we, I know, uh, Jamie, you wrote a really uh, powerful post a few days ago about your childhood, about something that happened, I think, when you were seven. Yeah. Um, maybe open this up a little bit and talk about other ways that, that, that everybody in this conversation feels oh, yeah. like an other sometimes because I know you've had some really interesting things to say and I, I feel like it'd be cool to talk about that, Jamie. For sure. And before I do, I just wanted to kind of yeah. mention one thing in, in relationship to Evie being on the show and the discussion of being transgendered. I, 
And going back to the scene where Rachel comes to Deckard's house and she's got photos and she's got proof. And she's like, no, this is my mother, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And, hint. and what's interesting in that scene is what's, what Deckard is doing in that moment is he's robbing her of agency. He's saying, no, yes. it's not true. You're not that. And we do that to people. We rob people of agency. And I think that's what happens to the trans community. Well, you're not really that. You weren't really born that. So it's not true. It's like you're trying to audibly or invocally erase who people are because for you, you think you have facts. And and even though you think that those facts are correct, they are in fact not correct. Um, And I think that that's something that we as a culture and maybe a world society, but certainly American culture have done and do. You hear it from the religious right um, as it relates to um, the, the, the trans community, the gay community, even the black community. Like people talk about black on black violence as a way to rob black people from actually no, but black people are still being killed by white cops in crazy numbers that shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't be happening at all. But again, it goes back to this idea of robbing people of agency. And I feel like uh, that is so damaging to groups, to individuals, when you're they're trying to kind of inform you and articulate to you who they are, where they've come from. But in our heads, our opinion of what our opinion of what they say ends up being more important than the individual standing in front of us. And I feel like. Also, another answer might be is instead of if you think about those people, whoever those people might be. I mean, I remember when I was 25 and I was living in downtown Pomona um, here in California. And uh, we made friends with all these kind of very young punks in the area and they would come to our house and we'd feed them every once a week or whatever. And we made friends with this um, homeless man. I can't remember his name at the moment. Um, And I remember having a discussion with my roommate Josh saying, you know, this guy who comes around, he stops being homeless and he ends up being, I'll just call him Jim, um, for, uh, for all intents and purposes. And so we know Jim as Jim and not as Jim as that homeless man. And I think that was really, it's a really important thing. So instead, so when people are discussing people of color, people of, of, you know, people of trans identity, people of LG, I mean, so many different kind of groups of people, whether it's, it's immigrants or whoever, um, and you can just, if you get to know them as people, they stop becoming those people. And I think that's really part of the answer. Um, and unfortunately, with even my experience, um, I have friends who, you know, are trans, you know, whether it's male to female or female to, female to male. I mean, they've been in my life for many, many years. Um, and I know them as people and I don't even think about their gender because I just know their character. Um, and mm-hmm. I really feel like that's the part of the answer is get to know someone's character. And I, I feel like, uh, and you can even, even in the kind of standard traditional gay community, there is prejudice and biased bias against trans people. It's there. There's, oh, yeah. It's full of misogyny. It's full of, like, um, prejudice and racism. I mean, the gay community is as full of all of those ugly things, the formal gay community, as is you know, the, you know, the, the larger heterosexual community. So there's a little bit of a misnomer there in terms of, oh, you're gay. So you're kind of all, yeah. So you're, you're, you're welcome to, you know, you're, you're welcoming to everybody. Everything's great for you. When in fact, that's not the case. Um, There's a lot of ugliness in the, in the LGBT community. um, And that's pointed, a lot of it is pointed at each other. But I think again, to pivot back to what I said, the answer or an answer or part of the answer could be 
get to know people. Stop getting hung up on genitalia or, or sexual practices in a bedroom that you're imagining when you're thinking about them and get to know Evie as Evie or, you know, whoever. Um, and I, I, Jim, is, Jim is Jim. Yeah. Well, it's like um, human beings tend to feel comfortable when they can categorize what they see and what they encounter into different, you know, boxes. Like yes. we search for patterns, but I guess maybe I'm, what we need to do is be brave enough to loosen or like, I don't know, make, make those boxes less defined so that when we encounter someone that's maybe different or just different than what we're used to, even that we can um, follow your advice, Jamie, and see them as a person first rather than, I don't know, something as like just everyone is multifaceted. And the fact that you're gay or that you are transgendered is but a piece of you. It, it's not, it shouldn't be like everything that is about you, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it, you're a person first. Not just there's far more to me than just being a trans woman. Exactly. And I wish that I mean we we need to find a way, I guess, as people to become braver than to just um sit back and be comfortable and just categorize, oh, you are a woman and you are gay and you are trans and you are this and that and that. And instead of putting people in boxes, we should just get rid of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, easier said than done, of course, but that's yeah. the thing. I agree. And Jamie and I were talking about this earlier. I think that part of this, the open-mindedness and the lack of judgment has to go both ways. Meaning that you hear a comment coming from a straight person, a you know, however they want to label themselves. I'm sure some people would say, quote, a normal person, right? And mm-hmm. instead of shutting down the conversation, because I try and do this all the time when I'm when I'm the only one in the room to have a certain opinion, right? You can get Mm -hmm. angry and start yelling, but that usually doesn't accomplish anything. And walking away certainly accomplishes even less. So understanding that I think some of this fear of evolving as a society and as people is a biological, physiological thing that's buried deep inside of us. Meaning that on a primordial level, um, differences our brain is always trying to calculate how that difference could be dangerous to us and how it could kill us right like when you're trying to identify whether an animal is dangerous in nature for example Mm -hmm. your brain like you can have never have seen a rattlesnake but when you look at a rattlesnake your brain knows based on instinct that there's all these signs that tell you to stay away from that animal because it's dangerous right And so we also have tried to do that through evolution so that we can survive. And I think some of that carries over in how we treat people. When you see something different, the tendency is that it scares you. And instead of trying to understand it or trying to accept it or trying to have a conversation with that person to get a deeper understanding, you tend to want to walk away and turn away from it because you fear it. There's something about it that turns you off or scares you or whatever. And I think that when people who are either less enlightened or have thought about it less or maybe have so much going on in their own private lives, economically, whatever the case may be, that they don't mm-hmm. have a headspace to engage with you on that. I think it's important to take a deep breath 
and try and be open-minded and understand where that person is coming from and continue to try and have a conversation because every time that I have tried to do that, and granted, I understand I'm not necessarily defending myself, but I'm standing up for other people hypothetically in this conversation. Um, I've been rewarded with a more open conversation than the way it started um, with you know, me and the person I'm talking to or the people I'm talking to finding common ground and all, all those things. And I mean, I try and apply that to politics as well, but it requires an effort on both parts. And you can't expect that effort from other people if you're willing to shut them down too. So I, I find I'm constantly reminding myself of that because to me, like that is the way forward. And, you know, the change in society starts with you, you know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, that's how I tend to navigate life. What's this? Nexus 6, Roy Batty. Incept date 2016. Combat model, optimum self-sufficiency. Probably the leader. This is Zora. She's trained for an off-world kick murder squad. Talk about beauty and a beast. She's both. The fourth skin job is Pris, a basic pleasure model. The standard item for military clubs in the outer colonies. They were designed to copy human beings in every way except their emotions. And the designers reckoned that after a few years, they might develop their own emotional responses. Oh, hate, love, fear, anger, envy. So they built in a fail-safe device. Which is what? Four-year lifespan. So, Micah, um, I'm interested, again, before I get kind of into what I wrote for our Shoulder of Orion Facebook page, I just, I'm just... I think there is also the discussion in terms of being someone who is other, um, the 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 reality of being a woman, and I think that also even plays into being a trans woman. I think part of the um, the phobia, or or not maybe not phobia, but the the stigma of being a woman, and a, but certainly a trans woman. But it's the idea that well, why would you want to be a woman? You know, like a lot of people will use things like that's girly or that's this or that's that and you, know, you hit like a girl yeah like you hit like a girl or all of these things but then I remember I don't remember exactly what it was but a few years back I saw this thing about misogyny and that uh, homophobia being rooted in misogyny and then they were going over these terms like well you know this is like a girl or you're screaming like a girl or you're running like this or stop acting like a bitch or all these things but then the or question was years, yeah mm-hmm. and then the question oh, is what's wrong with being a girl um, yeah, and I, I, because I, it's not a man. Yeah, it isn't. Um, totally, mm-hmm. totally. It's not. Why would you want to be like, someone? Why who's would not you into... not want to be a man? Yeah, that's totally. the ultimate thing. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the act of 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 being a girl or being girlier, even you know, even as when I was younger, I mean, I wasn't accused of being effeminate, but certainly I liked girl. I mean, I liked My Little Ponies when I was a kid. I played with them. You know, I played with my sister's Barbies. Mm-hmm. I was scared to death of being found out about that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved boy toys and I always would try and reaffirm that to people, but I, there was this threat that if I acted like a girl in any way, um, that for some reason that being passive that way was like the worst sin possible. And it's fascinating to me. And yet women are in control of, um, life without women, mm-hmm. without, and whether that's speaking life, giving life, nurturing spirit, whether it's physically or emotionally, Women are typically in control, and of course that includes trans women. 
um, are not in control, but they're kind of at the heart of that. And uh, I, so I think a lot of this pushback against trans people, specifically trans women more than trans men, um, because you don't hear as much, um, you don't hear as much about trans men being in, like a lot of trans men are not in the public eye. You might see a story here or there, but most of the scrutiny you see in, in, in public are against women. Like, But essentially, and really what they're saying is, why are you doing that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to, why would you want to be someone who's, you know, and to me, that's really what they're saying. And uh, I think that's kind of where the conversation, it, it's, it's misogyny. That's really what mm-hmm. it is. Um, and certainly yeah. there's the component of understanding, um, understanding who people are as their character. You know, I mean, I, I think like even Micah, I met you because you were auditioning for a character and I had nothing to, mm-hmm. I mean, the character happened to be a woman, but that's, that's it. Um, but pivoting back to kind of my questions to you, Micah, or, or in terms of being a cisgendered woman, like really the, the, the women have historically been replicants in our lives throughout world culture. And, I, and I'm curious how you perceive replicants in Blade Runner or how you, how you uh, internalize what we've seen in these films. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like personally, I've only recently um, have had my eyes open to this stuff. Um, Perhaps it's the political climate or perhaps it's me just becoming more of an adult. I don't even know. Um, But I I feel like I'm I am wide awake and noticing so much more now. Like the other day we, we were watching kind of. Um, not the greatest sort of sci-fi-ish movie that came out. And I was like, why? It was about like a, a futuristic thing where all these people were wearing armor and they were going to battle against these crazy aliens. And of course the the women were in these like boobalicious, like crazy <laughs> armor. And I'm like, why does the armor need to have like breasts? Like what is that for even? Um, it doesn't protect you better does it really like I really don't get that so like I I feel like more awake to this stuff now and I'm realizing as I think about it um I think it's so unfortunate how deep misogyny runs in our society I mean um just like the importance of appearance you know and I'm I grew up and while being very loved by my family um now that I look back on it appearance is important and um I felt a lot of pressure about looking good and making sure that I looked a certain way or even standing a certain way like I I remember my um my grandmother um teaching me to stand like with one of my legs bent and like a little cute pose so that it would make me look um smaller and uh, I've just been aware of how women are just um, encouraged to be smaller a lot. Take up less space. Take up less space. Don't be too loud. Oh, you sound you sound shrill. You sound like a bitch. You know, like you need to be quieter. So if your voice is, um, if you're speaking out or you're being strong, no, no, no. You're too close to being a man. You need to you need to be quiet. You need to be small. Um, I'm very aware of that now, and I mean. I can go back and look through memories of my life and, and like cite all these examples of that. Um, 
where like yeah that connects very much to i mean like i'll go to in 2049 when k is coming back the first time we see him go take his baseline test and he encounters that other um officer that human who's who like basically calls him like you're a fucking off skin job i believe is the quote god and he looks down and away so he's making himself smaller and i have personally done that um walking home from work in the city uh don't want to be i mean i don't know if i was conscious of what i was doing at the time but i know hey if i don't look at the person who's cat calling me right now maybe i don't have to engage with them about it or maybe i i just maybe if someone tells me to smile i do smile like i do that role for them you know um mm-hmm. so i can definitely relate to that sort of eye aversion that k does he makes himself smaller or he walks by all the harassment that's being flung at him when he, he's just trying to he's just trying to go home um he's that not scene is so strong to me yeah right i i can't even imagine but i i definitely i relate on that level where you're like you know what i'm just gonna pretend i don't hear this i'm gonna pretend that is not happening, and I'll just walk home quietly. I'll make myself smaller so I don't take enough, up much space. I do that a lot, I, I notice, on public transportation. Like, I don't want to get out. I don't want to be in the way of anybody. And the whole, like, <laughs> I'm sorry thing that women do. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a joke on that. Um, um, Amy Schumer, yes, thank you, Patrick, where... <laughs> They say I'm sorry so much that it's like it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, and I do that myself. You're constantly apologizing. She does do that <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no reason. Like, I'm sorry that I breathed in your direction. I don't know. Like, it's it's ridiculous how deep this really truly runs. And I'm saying that. I mean, I'm a cisgendered woman. I don't have it that difficult. I have very light skin. Like, I don't I don't have to deal with like any racial things but yeah like it's very present and i think um part of that misogyny is that i haven't really realized it was even happening to me until now you know Mm -hmm. as an adult you know one scene in 2049 that i just noticed today um while we were watching it it was when joshi goes to k's apartment if you notice how k is sitting they're both sitting. He is not facing her. He is facing in, in profile away from her. His head is down. Yeah. Like he's very like, like demure and like, he's not saying yes, ma'am, but essentially he's saying like, it, it's just a very, the power dynamic, even in the way that they're sitting, well, she's straight on to him, looking mm-hmm. right at him, but he can't look in her face. Um, right. He's almost, you almost see him like, it almost seems like he's afraid. Um, and I, I, I Again, as I watch that, and I, it's funny to see this film that I've seen, you know, five over five times now, and pick up new things every time. Um, but the way that, again, what what, what you were saying, um, Micah, about kind of making making yourself smaller, and I think we probably all do that in a certain way. Whether you're, I mean, I think certainly the 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 subjects at hand here are being kind of other, being something other than white heterosexual maybe Judeo-Christian male, or but just other than kind of the white male who's in charge. And again, I, I wanted to make a statement this this clear for the people who are listening to this podcast. 
this is not about white straight male being bad. I, I think that that's also a pendulum swing that's negative. Like, and I think that there's a lot of that from liberal culture. And I understand why that being straight white and male, they're the enemy now too. And I, that's not, also not the answer. That's not where I'm going. But I think that the, there is fundamental difficulty in being something other than what is considered normal or even even if we pivot away from the race race gender um, discussion um, you see a lot of people on social media trying to be more patriotic in their responses than other people well I stand up for the flag you know all of these things that oh make, you know that <laughs> makes them better you know or <laughs> I do this this makes me a good American you know um, Good for you. Or we say Merry Christmas. You know, <laughs> again, these statements to really like say, well, we're real people. You're not. You know, no one's telling you that you can't say Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Right, I, right. No one is. Like, no nobody, one. Nobody ever that. Right, know. and also like gay marriage doesn't ruin your straight marriage. It has literally nothing to do with your straight marriage. Right. Sorry, nothing to do with you. Yeah, and yeah, I, I guess I, from the perspective of, uh, of you know one of the token. Straight cisgender white men <laughs> raised in the Judeo-Christian Shut tradition <laughs> in a first-world country, um, you know. Like I, I, I feel like um, it's worth it's worth pointing out that there are a lot of levels of gradation. There's, there's like a lot of uh, there's strata within that straight white male um, uh, world, and and a, a journey that I have been on as a person um, has been realizing the uh perhaps previously unrecognized power that I've held in certain situations and trying deliberately to analyze that and to and to get rid of it and 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 to try really hard to um to be like I'm coming into this interaction with this person from a place of power by nothing else than the way that I was born um and because of that I will be treated a certain way and I, I will be assumed to be right I'll be given the benefits of doubts uh, I will be more, more trusted. Like there's all of these weird things that come mm -hmm. with being just a straight white dude, you know, and uh, a straight white cisgender dude. And I, and I feel like something for me uh, that's been really powerful from a personal perspective over these last four or five, I don't know how many years, has been um, looking at my day-to-day -day interactions with people and learning how to not talk finally, you know, learning how to listen more accurately and more honestly and, and learning how to uh, question why I've been treated certain way. Like, I, I get I get so many benefits in situations in society because I'm just like an, an affable straight white cisgendered guy. Like I like I get I get away with so much shit, you know? And I didn't even know that until like the last couple of years. And there have been times where like I've been in these situations and I'll be like led into something that I shouldn't have been led into, or I like, somebody be like, Hey yeah, take 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 the magazine. Who you know, who cares? Don't worry about it. Things like that where like I, I I know that if I had been in a different socio, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. whatever place, that like I wouldn't have gotten that benefit. But in the past, my entire life, I had no idea. You know, I I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. And it's You're been a really wonderful, beautiful awakening thing for me to recognize it. And and it's but it's also what's worth noting that I never knowingly, at least, abused that power. And and I think that there are a lot of straight white cisgendered guys who don't do anything you know harmful with that level of power or authority in, in, in implicit social situations but I think that um, when you become aware of it you're able to diffuse it more and to be more of an of an open 
person that's like you know an ally an ally and somebody who's not like uh an unknowing part of a problem that you might not have been aware of you know yeah so um and but it it just lastly in that same situation though like i i I am an other you know um, in a lot of situations because of that so even though even though i i am in this place of you know implicit authority or something um i still don't fit in in a lot of situations I, i was in an argument last night with somebody on facebook uh, who was denigrating feminists, and I was, and I was like, well, you know, I am a feminist, and I, and and I would like to talk about this with you, you know, offline. Like, this is a ridiculous thing that you're saying, and like, you know, and he was making fun of like pink pussy hat wearers, and I was like saying how, you know, like I, I was there at the women's march, and you know, and we're raising our sons to be feminists, and we're, you know, we're really trying to be, and and you know, and then they come at you with this whole like, oh, you're just like virtue signaling, like what are you doing, like you know, like you like what are you some kind of like fag, like what is this, like, mm-hmm. and it's like no, it, there's there's so much more to it, you know. And it goes back to making you appear weaker just because right, right. because because, because because it because it gives them a little in to say like, oh, you're not one of us, are you? Oh, oh you look, you're you sound like one of us. But, oh man, you're not. And so that means I have power on you. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And I want to yep. say like, fuck that. Like uh, like power is what is what I say it is in that situation. <laughs> And and you know and we know the reality and a really quick story uh, we, we, you know it's been a year since the uh, since the women's march basically mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a, a really powerful moment in my personal life and we took our boys and we went to Boston you know for the you know we're we're in Boston for those of you who don't know um, we went there for the for this enormous like five hundred thousand person march it was just it was one oh of the most God. incredible things that we've ever been a part of and um, we were moving through the crowds and our eldest son, Jude, who was asleep about three feet away from us right now, miraculously, <laughs> I know. was on my shoulders. Fingers crossed. <laughs> he was on my shoulders. And uh, and we needed to get by because he had to use the bathroom. And and there was this like six foot five dude, this like very burly guy. And he goes, hey, get out of his way. And then, and then, he, and then he like looks at Jude in the eyes because he was on my shoulders and I'm short, you know. And so he was like eye level and he goes, you're a real man, bro. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. You know, like, like that's because... Because like men need to talk to each other like that, you know. Like, and he we, was he was in, empowering Jude in that moment yeah. for standing up for women, which is awesome. Yeah, cool. So so I, I just wanted to point that out as uh, you know, like there are there is there is a spectrum within straight white cisgendered males as well, you know. Yeah, you're you're playing the same game. You just got cheat codes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that! I got the game shark going here. Yeah, <laughs> cheat code central. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Uh, to kind of, I want to kind of stick on, I mean, I think, again, we're all kind of here because of our, our shared love of this universe, of these films. Yes. Um, and I want to get, Evie, I want to kind of get your first impressions on um, Blade Runner 2049 and how that reverberates with you. And, I mean, you had all of these feelings and these, the, this, I, you could identify so much um, being being who you are and I'm interested yeah. into in, in, in hearing that but before we kind of get into that I think one great or one interesting tale that is constantly unfolding in the Blade Runner universe is this idea of passing you know um, Zora yes. was passing um, and the guilt of passing um, in everyone's just trying to kind of live their lives um, at least you know Zora was Rachel was um, and, you know, Rachel, I think, is, the, again, that powerful kind of female figure throughout both of these films. Um, and I, I think, you know, even myself to kind of pivot to my own experiences. And I, 
like Patrick mentioned earlier, I did write a piece about called The Replicants in Our Lives and about what that means. And, uh, and my own experience that I had when I was a child, I was seven years old and um, I was called a nigger by another white boy in in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And this is so seven years old. It was probably like 80, I don't know, 84, 85. I don't know. Um, and it was a really eye opening. It was equivalent of kind of a sexual awakening, but it was more of a racial awakening um, because mm-hmm. at, up until that point, I had no idea that I was different. I had no idea. Yeah. And I remember just being horrified. I think I told my mother and then that evening I was went into the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like pulling my face like, what is it about me that's what's giving me away? And I didn't I didn't even at that point realize that my father was black. I just it was my dad, you know, um, mm-hmm. and and as I got older, of course, that was something that I experienced where I was in uh, when I was like 13 and 14. I was in Missouri and I was asked by um, this white bag boy. I think it was a bag boy two different times, where do you belong? And I didn't understand at that age what that meant. But then he asked me again, well, no, where do you belong? And then I realized, oh, because he's saying I don't belong there. Um, yeah. And then, again, I, I'm just kind of spouting out, like, the layers of these of these ideas that Blade Runner represents. Like, as I got older, you know, I'm, I'm pretty kind of, quote-unquote, classically masculine. Very few people know that I'm uh, gay, I, I have issue with that term, but um, but I've always passed for straight. Um, no one's ever questioned it. It's always been a question of my character or people engaging my character. No one ever asks because they can't tell. I don't fall into the classic um, tropes of effeminate gay men, which just seems to be the you know the loudest voice, um, which is fine, I suppose. Um, but. And as I watch Blade Runner, I see a lot of those things. I see a lot of those, um, the idea of Zora passing. Um, Rachel was passing. She had no idea. And until she was kind of awoken to. Outed. Yeah. yeah, She was awoken to, no, you're not a beautiful woman anymore. You're a thing. You're commerce. Um, That's all that you are. You're the business. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think really how powerful that was, how that just, you saw it manifest over her face. I mean, hats off to Sean Young for playing that so succinctly um, that that just, you know, again, the as her past, which wasn't real, crumbled around her. Um, she lost all agency, and it was, she just didn't lose it. It was also being torn away from her by Deckard and by other people. And now you're not just a woman, you're a thing, you're commerce, and you don't belong here now either. Um, and mm-hmm. all of those things that she's battling, like, well, what do I do? Where do I go? What if I go north? What, you know, what are all these things? And, you know, this, the only man who seems to kind of care, but he doesn't really care at the moment is Deckard. And he's like, well, you know, I won't run after you, but whatever, you better, you know, better get going. Um, I mean, that's what I kind of feel from Deckard. Um, but I, I, again, just to kind of relate these themes of Blade Runner to, I, I think that these, these things that we deal with, the way that replicants are treated, the fear that they live in if they're found out, the fear that trans women live with. It's, it's hard enough being a woman, like you said, Micah, walking down the street, cat calls, okay. trying to make yourself smaller. But then you have on top of that, if you're a trans woman, you're, okay, I'm walking down the street. I don't want to be beaten or whatever. But what will they do to me if they find out that they, I don't line up with their ideas of what they think a woman is? Um, mm-hmm. those, there's so many layers. Like, And I think about Pris walking down the street in the original Blade Runner and 
she's on a mission, but I mean, if she's discovered, her life is over. Um, and really her and, and Roy only want a longer life. That's it. That's all that they want. They want to kind of understand. They want to be able, they want a longer life. Somehow they can fix that and go off and live a life together or off world or wherever they're going to, they're going to, they're going to go. But I, I just think it was a really important thing that, um, I'm kind of rambling here, but I, I, I <laughs> it, it's really important to me that the people who relate to replicants, the people of color, the people, you know, the immigrants, the, the, the LGBT uh, community, the trans community, um, it is important that we are given agency and that agency validated by people who do not belong. So we're, we don't live a life of just passing. Because even for me, I mean, my life has been easier because people don't, they don't know. Um, they don't know maybe that I'm gay. They don't really know. They, they can't tell what race I am. So I just kind of pass. But we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to right. pass. We should be able to How be who we are. You shouldn't have to hide who you are. You should be able to just go outside and be honest with the world about who you are. You shouldn't have to pass. Like I, I just, when you said that, Jamie, I just thought, yeah, that's, that's so awful that, and Evie must feel the same way. You have to worry about passing for something that isn't you. That's terrible. It, we shouldn't it's something that's on your mind all the time, especially living in the city. Totally. Yeah. Or if you're, you know, and this is something that I've, uh, experienced where if I make friends with straight men and um, we become closer or whatever, and it's just a close friendship, whether it's emotionally close, you're, you're always like, you want to say something, but you feel like, oh, I got to tell them that I don't mean it. I don't mean it in a gay way, bro. You know, or right. I don't mean it, you know, no like home. there's this, there's this, yeah, there's this like fear <laughs> of like, oh, so now they're probably after me again, this fear of not being ourselves. And I think we, Yes. We the Blade Runner world is set up in a way where it's like you people aren't wanted. This is not this world was not meant for you. But I think mm -hmm. in many ways we live in a society that tells people many people in many different groups the same thing. This people was set up for these kind of Judeo-Christian people and it's not made for you. And I think what we're, a lot of what we're seeing is a pushback to that like no we're people and we demand that you validate our agency because we go to bed and we get up and we have to go to the bathroom and we have to do all of these things just like you. And and coming back to like how the replicants feel about all that, they're they're constantly being told that this world isn't for you. Mm. Meanwhile, they're I think a lot of them silently understand like no, we're we're next. Like you're you're done. You're going out of you're going out and we're going to be the next ones that are taking control. Yeah. Um, right. So let's pivot into a little bit into 2049 in terms of Evie. Like, what? Yes. Again, you're the you you've seen it. You're the only person here who's seen it. Like last I've week only or whatever. I've seen it once. And what what, <gasps> what do you take away from that? What was your? How did you experience that film? I I have to say that I cannot wait to see this movie periodically for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, that so it's good. it's a movie that like I am going to continue to revisit and that I'm going to show people that I care dearly about to see how they feel about that movie and kind of use it as like a relationship litmus test. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Do it. I cried within the first 15 seconds of the movie starting. <laughs> um, just the music and the visuals and all that and that 
that just blew me away and I was immediately in that world. Um, I took a lot of notes and I was actually, I think I was like almost kind of like live tweeting them to <laughs> you, Jamie. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I had like a lot of general notes that I really loved. I loved Joy. Um, yes! My favorite! Joy, Almost all Joy of us love Joy. <laughs> Joy was, except for Jamie. Really Jamie. I have an epiphany about that that I'll get to a little bit. Oh, God, these epiphanies. <laughs> I'm working on him in terms of Joy. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm good with Joy now, but I'll talk about that later. Oh, wow. She's nice. Um, I, I totally resonated with her, too. She's I amazing. really liked some of this. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, please, please continue. Um, I I really loved the actor who played Love. I thought she was great. I I loved the subtle nuance and the choices that she made with her character that kind of almost let on to like little secrets, um, about how she really operated. Um. Like there's there's a scene that really stuck out with me that I've just kind of revisited and thought about when uh, she's in Joshi's office and I can't remember the exact wording, but she says, "Oh, you think that you're safe because I can't lie to mm-hmm. my creator, but I'll just tell him that you went for your your weapon and I had to kill you," and that yeah. whole idea that like that people think that replicants can't lie, but these replicants have these little secrets to themselves that, you know, maybe they can. Right. Um, and they're not letting on to it. Um, I have notes from a trans perspective. I don't know if y'all wanted to hear oh, those sure. first. Yes. Yeah. We want to hear uh, something. I, before I get into that, I just want to say that the future looks really cold. Um, <laughs> and I really, I like that uh, Denny Villanoy got that across from just like the way things look to the way people dress to even like the heaters in Joshi's office. I like that. I thought that was a really good touch to kind of sell that fact that this is kind of a very sunless world, a very cold and inhuman world. Um, and the people are just kind of like stacked on top of each other. Um, from a trans perspective, um, Kay, that scene where someone calls him a skin job as he's walking and, you know, not being able to defend himself in that moment, um, even though he could literally disarm him as in like, take their arms off. Exactly. (laughs) Um, that he could just at any point, if someone called him a skin job, he's like, you know what? Enough. And then just, he could do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he would have to face those consequences. Um, knowing that if someone calls you a name or makes a threat to you that you can, either do something and potentially pay your pay with your life or let it slide and don't let them see you and move on. Um, I've, I've been in positions like that. I, I was fucking minding my own business in a park one day and just kind of enjoying the sunshine and really kind of just taking in life and enjoying it. And someone just came up to me and like looked at me real close and yelled at a bunch of guys that I hadn't seen and just yelled like, it's a guy, it's a fucking guy. And um, then just yelling at me that he was going to kill me and say like, you want to dress like a faggot? I'll treat you like a faggot. And like those moments. Yeah. Oh my God. um, And those moments where 
you know, not only someone finding out that, like, you were trans or, you know, in the movie case, like, a replicant, but alarming everyone else. I know. Those, those are those big moments to where, like, um, yeah, the, the Casey just, like, really pointed out with me where they're calling him skin job, writing it on the walls in his apartment mm-hmm. or in his apartment building, um, stuff like that. Having um, replicants as sex workers was a really big thing in my head. Um, just like trying to survive. Um, Kay saying, do you know what I am? To the three women at the... Don't you like, know the, what uh, I am. Yeah. Don't you know what I am, yeah. Yeah. Um, Almost like a disclaimer, like, are you sure? Like, like he yeah. had to say that. Yeah, that was a very... I didn't pick that up until you told me and then when I watched it tonight I'm like oh wow yeah it just it takes on a whole different meaning being being at a bar and like first off I'm I'm not attracted to men and so that's always like an interesting thing to be at like a bar out with friends or something like that and someone come up to me because I don't really fucking want them there in the first place mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. like by the way like don't want you to be embarrassed in front of your guy friends but you know I'm trans right like that disclaimer Mm. Um, so they don't get it in too deep because I really don't want any of their attention in the first place. Um, yeah, that letting someone know that you're trans or a replicant before they get too close so you don't get hurt in either emotional or a physical way. Mm. Um, when Joy and Kay are looking at that really cool DNA machine where Joy says, it's okay to dream a little, isn't it? And Kay says, not if you're like us. That was really big to me. Um, Those were my my big takeaways. I think after around that point, I just got really sucked into the world and stopped taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) A good reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i kept i had i think at that point i'd paused it like 10 times to take notes and i was just like i just really need to watch this movie. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah what's interesting those, i, I those find what'd you say patrick i, I said that those were such interesting points i i, I love that and i want to i'm gonna when this episode uh, airs i'm gonna go write them down so i can think of the next time right I'm, watch I'm gonna it. i'm yeah, gonna listen for that next time really interesting stuff on in there you... yeah thank you yeah mm. uh, really quick i'd like to add since Evie is in the uh, unique position to only have seen this movie once as opposed to the rest of us who have collectively seen it probably 20 times. (laughs) Um, I wanted to say that um, I'm looking forward to your future experiences with it um, because like 2019, I think you'll find um, I saw 2049 in theaters four times with different people each time uh, by myself, with my father, uh, with, with Jamie on simultaneously, but not in the same theater because he was in LA, um, and with another friend of mine, and I had four distinctly different experiences all four times. Uh, you know, the first one you guys can all probably relate to of just being overwhelmed with the content and still absorbing it, etc. Yeah. yeah, awestruck for sure. Uh, n- knowing that I w- had just witnessed something incredible, but still feeling like I got run over by it. So th- that took a little bit of time to get over. But yeah, I mean, I had epiphanies about different characters at different times. Um, I've been going through a lot of personal stuff in my own life that 
colored how I viewed the movie and how I connected with different characters. You know, I had one viewing where I identified with Kay the entire time for sure, um, whereas other viewings were different. And um, I mean, I certainly commend you on trying to take notes on your first viewing because I didn't take any notes <laughs> until my third viewing. But um, yeah, anyways, I just wanted to comment on how valuable it is to absorb the movie completely and just enjoy watching it as well as taking notes as well as uh, realizing that each viewing can be slightly different depending on what you're going yeah. through and what you're, what kind of mood you're in and what you're thinking about it. It really has this malleable um, quality to it. That's really exceptional. Only that only, I think, you know, the best type of philosophical movies like the two Blade Runner movies um, certainly have. It's one of those things where the first time you see it, you're aware that it is the first of many. You know, it's like it's like as it's unfolding, you're like you see these this oh, recursive fuck. loop unfolding, and you're like, mm-hmm. and you're like oh my I'm god, like this is a part of my time. life now. Like this is something that I will it take really with me. Is. It, yeah. it, it's it's amazing that you could take notes because I, I there were there were stretches on, on the first viewing, which I, I told the story before, but I I had been traveling back from Europe and and I I had like just gotten back. And I had been awake for like 20 hours or something. And it was like just this crazy environment. And we got to this like very late show on Thursday, the 5th. And, uh, and, and like, and I was like so over, I was just fucking crying the entire movie. Like I was like, <laughs> the credits rolled and I started, and I was like, why am I crying about this? And I was like, oh, this is just like the way I'm going to watch this movie now yeah. is by crying through it. And I was like, my mouth was open and I was like breathing heavy. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like I, I'm so lucky the lights aren't on in this theater. I like the fact that you could take notes uh, yeah. really, uh, I think says a lot about your ability to uh, compartmentalize. Yeah. Although I'm glad that you eventually gave up on it and just watched the movie. And they weren't I, just like regular notes. I was like, <laughs> right, right. I was like, whoa, I didn't even pick. I mean, I had seen it four yeah. times. I was like, holy fuck. Like she get like she gets this like yeah it was yeah. it was pretty amazing um of the whole joy out. being alive that's i th- i think joy the joy that we see it, the version k's version of joy is genuine and unique and i think the whole concept of like well if replicants were once seen like this why can't versions of this program that joy is be you know the first of their kind. Right. That's what I said. Well, well, well Jamie would say it's because, <laughs> it's because they are other because they're not physicalized because they're binary code. One. And I'm like, how how categorical and judgmental Jamie. is that for somebody? <laughs> so well, well, yeah, Jamie. and I, told, I totally agree with you, Evie, about how like Kay's version of her. And I'll, I, I, like, my huge thing, I've only been on um, Shoulder of Orion a couple times, like, just one other time other than this. And, like, one of the things that I really believe with Joy is that, like, not only does Kay make her um, unique and special and alive, I think. He she validates also, her. She, he validates her and she validates him. Mm-hmm. Because like, how many Joys do you think are, are owned by replicants? I don't think a whole lot. Right. So there's yeah, that. They, they were designed for, you know, companionship, probably. probably for the humans that were, like, too genetically bereft to find physical relationships with people, you right. know. Um, and, yeah. Really found a yeah. connection. Yeah. She's, that one is, that is a special joy, I think. Like, I, I think the, the amount of, of mail that we've received, and by mail I mean email, I don't think anybody <laughs> 
letter before, but the <laughs> amount of like emails and Facebook messages that we get about Joy to this day, I think means that we have to revisit that. And and I think Evie, we should get you on for that. And, right? And Can we just whole... talk about Joy forever? And I, Robin Bates has that. messages about that. Like like he's another guy who really wants to talk her. about it. Like there's so many people who. Uh, we haven't even gotten to hear what Dan thinks, you know. I mean, I feel like right. I feel like we gotta we gotta get back on. I got Joy bangs because of this character. Yeah, Michael really <laughs> got bangs, and she was I'm, good. I've certainly <laughs> let Jamie know all about what I think about Joy, but yeah, I think that uh, depending on how you guys feel, we could probably commit to a future Joy episode because there's enough yeah. to explore between our opinions and people writing in that there's a lot there. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll I'm do like the, an the Joy of Joy yeah. right now. Well, and here's here's where I am with Joy. Like I have this again. Epiphany right. moment. Actually, I told Dan, but I don't even think I've told you, Patrick. But I realized that it doesn't matter to, for me personally because for really, it's me trying to have a, for lack of better terms, a real experience with joy. And it seems like you guys have, but I haven't. I haven't. There's something been in the way for me seeing her as real or whatever. But what I realized is it doesn't matter if joy is real or not. She was real for Kay. And that's what exactly. matters. Um, and that's, that's my through important. to her. Um, and that's what, for me, I was kind of hung up, or when we were discussing these things, I was hung up on, well, she's technology. But for Kay, whether she was or isn't, or is or isn't technology, he doesn't care. He loves her. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Even though I don't think he ever says that he loves her. She says that he loves him. Um, he's never He never says that once to her. Um <laughs> But it doesn't matter. What matters is his connection to her. And I think I and for me, it's all about relating things in my own life. Like um, I was just telling Dan the other day, like there's people who I've met in my life who I've really felt um, a personal connection to and they don't really see it. But it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that I connected to them and they moved me. They shaped me in their own way. Um, And that's really my takeaway. And it's make it's making me appreciate joy more um she i still think she is a little bit divisive but i think that might just be for me um again i being someone who doesn't who who doesn't agree with the kind of the the group thought about what she is or who she is or her own agency or her own sentience um i don't know for sure i none of that has been validated for me but again i just came to this place of peace with her that love sometimes doesn't make sense and and love doesn't make sense out of a lot of things, but we just have to kind of go with it. And Kay went with it, and he invested himself so much in in to this girl or this woman that he bought her an emanator because he wanted him he wanted her with him. You know that's yes. how much she meant to him, um, and that was important. And I, that's how I can look at Joy and I can appreciate her more. Right, yeah. and then in turn she she goes against programming even though it's more dangerous to do so, and says, hey, put me in the emanator. Like, I don't care if, if I will die. Like, I'm a, I want to be a real girl. I, yeah, I think I, I use the term, uh, instead of going against, I use the term uh, transcend. I think that Joy transcend. transcends her programming, uh, is, is my opinion. And, and again, I think the wonderful thing about both Blade Runner movies is that they leave things vague enough with few defined answers so that you are allowed to draw your own conclusions. If you want to believe that Deckard is a replicant, there's plenty of evidence to point to that. If you want to believe that Deckard is not a replicant, I think there's an equal amount of evidence to point to that. If you want to believe that all joys are equal and they're all capable, 
of acting the way Kay's joy did, you're free to believe that. If you think mm-hmm. there's something special about the connection between Kay and his joy and that she transcend, transcended her programming the way I believe, um, there's evidence to point to that. And I think when it comes to love with a capital L, not the character that's in the movie, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of it depends on your own personal experience with love, on what you have learned about love in your own life, which in my 30s, I never thought I would be learning so much about love through my own personal life, but I have, and I've learned a lot of new lessons. And I've learned that for some people, love is about an act of giving. For other people, love is about an act of receiving. Um, And, you know, in a a third way, love is about a shared experience. And so Mm -hmm. you can't get into Kay's head. You can't get into Joy's programming. All you can do is make an opinion based on what the artists here, both the actors, the right, you know, everybody involved in the production decided to show. And just like any other beautiful form of art, what the artist meant to portray is not always the most important thing. Some, you know, most artists, I think, are aware that people interpret art in their own ways and have their own experiences that they relate to it, their own identity, all those things. And that's what makes a piece of beautiful art uh, lasting, transcending the basic things about the plot and all of that. Um, And we've seen that in 2019 and 2049 in the way that we can watch these movies over and over again, not because we're obsessed, although we are, but because Mm -hmm. you learn something new every time and you have new conversations. I mean, the fact that we all know this podcast could continue for hundreds of episodes is not because there's so much material to the Blade Runner movies, but because the concepts they bring up are so deep and so um, malleable and ubiquitous and all of that culturally and and, and all those things that um, we know we can continue to have conversations about this because it's a growth process and a learning process. Yes. Yeah. Well said. There's something beautiful about ambivalence, you know? Yeah, and uh, and and the the best art is is not the art that closes its own loops; it's the ones that open loops that you didn't know existed. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and different so, loops yeah. for every person who views them. Yeah, and what's amazing, like like Dan, when you were just talking, I was thinking like there really is the category also of possibility where joy uh, has identical programming to every other model of joy, and yet what she does is still beautiful and still authentic, and and I, and to me that that's just as powerful as anything. I, I think. Like even if even if she had been programmed to do that, it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know. It's still beautiful. What what matters is is the is what she and Kay mean to each other, you know. And like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that that's like what what more do you, do we want out of life than connection, you know? Like that's kind of like why we exist as as humans in in a in like in in an acculturated society, you know, is so that we can form connections with each other and that we can you know survive and survive the vastness of. The universe and survive the the inhospitable uh, the 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 terrible conditions of a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. You know, like like that's 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 what it's all about. It's about forming connections and about right, yeah, and not, and not just surviving, but, but thriving. And and we all have yeah. programming too, right? Whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you identify as a male, as a female, and and, and a litany of other things. Um, you are not your programming. And you are not right. your sexuality and you are not your gender. That is just a part of you. But the way yeah, you right. choose to connect with the people you love and the people around you, I think, is really what makes you who you are. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's that's kind of the point of this whole episode, you know? <laughs> yes. And I see myself like as everyone was talking in I, I funny because as we were talking about robbing people of agency, I think in my process with Joy, I was doing the same thing. I was trying to rob Joy of her agency. <laughs> Dare you know? Um just because she didn't fit what I thought she should be or what other people were saying. But it doesn't matter what I think she should be because it's not my journey. The joy is who mm-hmm. she is. Even though, of course, she's not real and this is a movie and everything, I still <laughs> was falling into those same traps of trying to rob her of agency because she didn't fit what I think she, she should be because I have a difficulty with technology. I have difficulty relating to technology as, as a placeholder for the real thing. Because again, to be cliche, we're all looking for something real. And for me, I was like, but Joy's not real. But Joy isn't the journey. Joy isn't the journey that I'm on. Joy is Kay's journey. Yes. Um, so again, even in my own ideas of, yes, I'm enlightened or I'm a big, th- I, I'm open and I, I, I uh, you know, I, I like to think about deep philosophies. I fall into those same traps too. You know, and I think uh, I, I, I just became aware of that within the last 20 minutes. Like, geez, that's what I'm doing. I'm robbing her of her agency. You know, I I think joy is also intentionally polarizing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Um, that character is designed to be divisive, to make you like think like, oh I I think she's like this, and then hear your friend who you think that you have like a very like solid knowledge of how they think go no she's not real fuck that shit and like mm-hmm. having to have a conversation about that. And, right. and I, th- I think that's why, like, three episodes in a row got torpedoed by Joy or Jamie. <laughs> because mm-hmm. cause we would start talking about it, and then it would be like, what? Like, you know, like, like <laughs> Damien and I have such a deep understanding of each other, but this was something that, like, really was not working out. And it was like, and, and, and because of that, I, I think you're right, Evie. I think people are all around the world after this movie came out fell into that same trap where it's like, how do we reconcile this? Like this, this, and, and, and that's why this character who I think was kind of ancillary in the script, this character who was kind of like a, you know, like a, just a supporting, you know, not like damsel in distress character, but kind of in some ways, how she became the, the philosophical underpinning of the whole thing, you know? Um, although not to take anything away from Rachel, but like, but I, I feel like wow. joy is, is, is in a lot of ways at the heart of what 2049 is actually about. Right. She's which the 2049 is, Rachel. She yes. is in a lot of ways. She really I feel is. the same yeah. way. And and it's like, so I went into 2049. Um, I had seen to 20, the original Blade Runner 2019, and I didn't know if I liked it. And I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, huge sci-fi nerd. I didn't know if I liked it. I didn't know if I wanted to connect with Deckard. I didn't, I still couldn't figure out how I felt about Rachel. Like I went into 2049 going, well, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this this movie and as i said i've been like recently awakened to um a lot of like stereotypical women's roles and i seeing the trailers thought that joy was gonna fall into that like she's beautiful she's gonna be the eye candy the girlfriend like i i was totally expecting that and yet here i am all i want to talk about is joy like she was the most um resounding character for me i i like walked away I could I couldn't stop thinking about her and what she meant and like like what she meant to the other characters there and and wow yeah like she I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional but she definitely like has hit one of those heartstrings with me from yeah. these I it's yeah. my I I won't I, I we can move on to something else my last my last thought on on her is that I think it 
the same questions that we're having are the same ones that Kay has sometimes about joy. Mm. Um, whether he, you know, cause he even says like, you don't have to say that. Yeah. Right. Um, little things like that. And I think the moment where she syncs up with a living person to show how much she cares is really big. And I think that Kay isn't sold yet. Even after that happens, I think he's very close and um, there's this, the scene where Deckard says to Kay, sometimes to love someone, you got to be a stranger. I feel like that's wow. like double as, you know, where he's talking about he needs to be away from his daughter. But um, that's like a moment to Kay where he's saying like, hey, she was a she was a stranger for you. I didn't mm. even think of that. And my mind is blown. Okay, we're having follow-up Joy episode. <laughs> write that on the calendar, Evie. We're going to do that. Oh, my God. Okay? Yeah, my vote. Yeah, mine okay. too. Mine too. I, 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 we'll get, I think Robin. you're right. I think she is there to to kind of get everyone talking. And, I, you know, and even in our earlier discussions about joy, it really, for me, it wasn't about joy. It was about my own personal relationship with something else that I was attributing mm. to joy. And even in that, you know, about my relationship with technology and love and all of these things. Um, and I was hearing from that discussion that Patrick and Micah and I had, like, I, for some reason, I was hearing, not that you guys were saying this, but I was hearing like, oh, but she's good enough. She's good enough. But for me in that point in my life, I mean, and still now, like, I was processing the idea that virtual love is good enough. And I'm like, no, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. But it wasn't about me. It's about Kay. It's about his, you know, and I, I was internalizing it so much. Um, and I think that's what good art does. It just, it, mm. it, you know, and, uh, you know, I've kind of evolved on on how I feel. I mean, it's still evolving. I still don't, I still watch 2049 and I don't really, I don't really think about joy too much. I think it is fascinating that you guys think about her so much. I, I love that. I want it. Find out more about that, and we can do that in a future episode. But um, for me, it is an ongoing kind of process of evolving who, what she means, and uh, what you know, what essentially different. There's different kinds of love. People love thing people and other you know and things differently than other people do. Um, mm-hmm. Kay's, Kay's relationship to joy is going to be different than my relationship to joy, um, or in my in my. In my, uh, for my experience, it would be a Joe as opposed to a Joy. Um, <laughs> um, but I, and I, I love that. I love this is what I love about science fiction is that it 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 opens the door for really intense debate and discussion and uh, how we attribute these things in our own lives today. Um, and it, mm-hmm. one one thought I had to kind of pivot away from this a little bit, and we were talking about identity and what makes us human, and I think about. Because I'm always thinking about Rachel all the time, and uh, I had a discussion with Evie via message messenger about who that Rachel at the end of towards the end of the film who was that really who was that and all of this is supposition we don't know we don't know for sure we don't know anything and I was talking to Dan about this too who was that was that in fact Rachel or was that just a clone of Rachel did the DNA did the did the model numbers once they experienced memories, did their bones and their whatever's left of that DNA of their bones, does it hold those memories? So was it, in fact, Rachel that we saw? 
with all of the memories of having that child, with all of the memories of meeting Deckard, could that have been really Rachel? And could that Rachel have been killed again? Um, and I'm pushed towards believing that. I don't know why, but I just am. But what's interesting, as I kind of think about the agency of being human and why was Rachel a threat? Why was Rachel a threat to, to, to Joshi? Um, because Rachel then became like everyone else. Capable yes. of her own destiny, capable of her own legacy, she became oh. just like humans. Th- then she became a threat, and I think that that's fascinating. And I feel like it's the same discussion with p- gay people, with trans people, that there are groups of people out there who do not want to give you that. They do not want to give you agency. They do not want to make you just like everyone else. They want to keep mm-hmm. you they don't in a place. Make space for you. Yeah, they want to keep you in a place that's comfortable for them. You're other. You're different. You don't belong. And the moment that you find belonging, I mean, look at really even the, the, I felt like um, kind of pivoting away from Blade Runner just for a minute, like when gay marriage was allowed, you know, it was considered legal in the country. All of a sudden, all these bathroom laws were popping up. Like, and I was telling (laughs) people these, these are vengeance laws that's what it is it's vengeance it's vengeance for for giving gay people agency it's vengeance for giving people who are gay equality because they we do not want to let them know that they're equal and that's really the struggle of blade runner is and the struggle of replicants is but we're people and we're equal and we have our own lives that we want to live and we just want to live them but there's a faction out there who are like no you don't belong you're not ever going to belong and we live mm-hmm. with that today and i think that for me makes blade runner so powerful is because we live with this we live with the idea that people are having discussions on whether we're equal or not or we're having discussions on well we don't know if you should get married but maybe you should maybe you shouldn't i'm not really sure so they're they're having discussions about how human we should be and how human they should, how much of our humanity they should accept. This is what we live with. So in many ways, what's happening in Blade Runner is happening now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. It's like how much, again, we go back to like, oh, now I have to make space for this other person because now they have the right to get married. Yes. Or now I have to make space in the bathroom for someone that I don't know about, you know, like, it's just that otherness and um, allowing the space for them. Like, it, if, if you grant that the other is also a human being, then you have to... Even Joshi says, I, I'm not paying for that, you know? Like, you're not you're, you're just a replicant, so I'm not going to pay for you to get fixed. I'm not going to pay your health care bill because you you're, you're less than me. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. another way I'll of her. It. Right, I'll glue it. You'll literally... He'll glue it. He won't go and get fixed with healthcare because he has been told by his superior who is a human, an actual human being that he doesn't deserve the space. He is not human enough to, to get fixed up the right way to, to, to be taken care of. So it's the same thing. It's like, you're not human enough to use the bathroom or no, make yourself smaller make yourself quieter so that I don't have to make space for you. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I, it's the, Oh, I have so many thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Rachel being able to be pregnant was like such a huge thing just because, you know, that they that was like one of their core beliefs was that, you know, replicants are different because they can't procreate. And now here, here's this proof, you know, here's this proof that 
replicants can and maybe more than likely will be the human replacement. Mm -hmm. Um, They need less. They can do more with less and all this stuff. And, you know, humanity's kind of gone off this idea that like, oh, they're fine because they can't, they can't have babies. And I feel like I've had that. I have definitely had that thrown in my face before as a trans woman. Like you're not a real woman because you can't, how you can't bear children and you know to be a woman is to be able to bear children Mm. well what do you what do you say to the what do you say to women who can't have children because of you know one thing or another or uh how about this now like the fact that probably within the next 10 to 15 years um like a, a womb implant will be will be a thing that we see like yeah. what happens now when right when a trans you know, woman can bear children exactly not even an if when and yeah there'll be a, you know, there'll be a huge backlash in a lot of fights. <laughs> you know, we'll that, that, that i think we can agree on what's yeah. what's yeah. your next argument right <laughs> no like what's the next thing that will knock the other down a few pegs so that the so that you can feel comfortable you know yeah mm-hmm. in my in my mind what's summarized part of that thought in a bigger picture when Micah was speaking earlier and, and Evie right now is um, the 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 normal right quote unquote person's perspective is that your quest for equality inherently threatens my identity like we talked about right. with marriage with sex with gender with sexuality all these things is if I allow you to become completely integrated in society I'm now losing my place and my status in society and I see that as a threat and that's why I'm reacting sometimes violently against it, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't understand that. Like I, I really can't understand it. I don't get what the what the correlation is. Um, but I guess I, I, that that is what differentiates like the us from them again. Like it's, I, I just don't understand why the um um a, a trans woman or like a a woman like me or like someone of mixed race or anyone anyone who feels other i don't understand why their i don't know existence threatens the normal quote unquote so much that they they can't allow it i just don't understand it you can't I don't know you, you know what's saying. interesting uh micah you said something about like or or we were talking about like Joshi's saying, I'm not going to pay for that, and he's going to glue it. But I think about that, and I think we live in, also we live in a world where you have insurance, insurance company says, oh, sorry, we're not covering your cancer, your cancer treatment. Sorry, we're not going to do it. Like, you're not worth yeah. that. You're not worth that. Are you, are you, you know, like, again, questioning like, oh, so I'm not worth that. I'm not worth living longer. I'm not a big enough profit margin for you. So you're going to deny mm-hmm. all of this to me. Like we live in that society where we profit margins are higher than, um, are, are more important than our own life. And, uh, yeah. the, the idea that insurance companies see us as, as commerce, as you yeah. know, are, are you, are you, you healthy? You're good. All right, man, 20 right. bucks a month or whatever, you know, 40 bucks a month. I wish. Oh, oh, no. yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Well, I mean, in my company, it's cheap because there's so many of us. But, um, but, but if you don't, if you're not, and I think about the film Gattaca and how they have the invalids and the valids, 
like, and those were terms that they used. Um, you're, if you, you know, and really the invalids came, was about genetics. Like, well, how are you born? Oh, you were, you're engineered. Oh, you're valid. You're valid. Oh, you were, you're an accidental birth. Someone got pregnant with you on a seaside. You're an invalid. You don't, you know, you're, you're, you're subject to all of these different kinds of heart disease and all of these things. So you're not really, I mean, again, in the film Gattaca, which I don't know if you've seen Evie, which if you haven't, you need to see it. Um, You really need to see it. Um, But again, it deals with the idea that, well, you're more, you, you are more important if your bloodline is pure, if you're if you've been genetically altered, so that you are kind of the the supreme race. Um, but again, like I said, we, we're living in a time where today we we are looked upon that as these by these insurance companies who kind of hold the cards for our our well being and whether yeah. they see us as viable enough to pay for a treatment that will help cure us, or they're like, sorry, you're shit out of luck. Sorry you're dying at 25. Sorry, you're, sorry that you're going to die at 50. Um, we're not going to help you. And then you have to do a GoFundMe or whatever to raise the money because these right. people don't see you as profitable. Um, yeah. So anyways. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's so much to unpack with that. Yeah. Um, we should probably wrap up because yes. we're, we're hitting the two-hour mark. <laughs> I, I, want, I have a parable <laughs> that I wanted to share with you guys that I, I feel like kind Ooh. of encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about. But before I get to that, <laughs> I want to once again formally thank Evie so much yes. for sending that message. Thank you. Which, which again, I know Jamie talked about this in the beginning, but I, I happened to be on our like Facebook message thing when you sent it, so I saw that like a message was coming in, and I was like, oh, like this is funny. I'm, I'm actually like seeing it happen in real time, and it was this like incredibly powerful thing. And I immediately texted uh, Jamie and Ryan, and I was like, you guys have to read this. This is incredible. And they both did, and we all were like, oh, this is so powerful because. It is such an insightful personal view into the Blade Runner universe that we hadn't even broached yet, and uh, and the fact that you have the uh, just the, the strength of character to reach out to a bunch of strangers on the internet and say such open and personal and intimate things to us. I mean, that is just like to me, what like I said, like connections, like like that's what it's about, you know. Yeah. And 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 I I just just personally I, I just really want to thank you for doing that because you have brought. Um, a deeper understanding of these films that that I love in a very personal way, and you have also helped in in a small way to reaffirm my faith in people being able to form relationships over the, this vast electronic expanse. You know, the same way that I feel with with Jamie and you know, and Ryan and Dave and Michael from Perfect Organism and Dan and you know, like it's like we find each other, you know, in this incredible invisible thing and. We reach out, and all of a sudden, like our world changes a little bit, and it's an it's an it's an ineffable, beautiful thing that I feel really thankful for, and I feel like I just wanted to verbalize that for you. So thank you for sending that, and thank well, you thank for coming you. on. Yeah, thank um, you. Yes, it's just amazing. It's, um, it's been awesome. I I love any excuse to nerd out about any of my favorite universes. <laughs> well, be careful what you wish for, because we'll have. <laughs> Also, as a person who is not um, a co-host of this podcast, I want to say thank you for um, just enlightening me personally about how I can be a better ally. You know, oh, yeah. I really, totally really serious. want to. And thank you for that. Thank you for putting it so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and lastly, I just wanted to share the parable that I was talking about. <laughs> oh, boy. 
It's uh, and you guys might have heard it because it's kind of like went viral a while ago. But it's the parable of the lobster. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. No. Yeah. So so basically, the gist for those of you who don't know it is that um, lobsters can only grow by molting, you know, by shedding their skin. And and the only way that they can shed their skin is if they know that they are uncomfortable. So there's this um, beautiful metaphor, I think, for our own lives and for our lives as as a society, which is that we only change when we reach a point where we are so uncomfortable that we have to shed our skin and undergo traumatic change to grow and to thrive. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like our history as a species is the history of traumatic discomfort engendering true change and lasting progress. And I feel like that's exactly where we are right now as a society. And I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff because we've, we've been there. We've done that. We've gotten angry messages. We don't need to necessarily get into that. But but I, I think that where we are geopolitically and in this world is a place of real true pain right now. And I think that that's really important because it means that we're about to fucking grow more and more boldly. And I think that um, it is really important that we have works of art like 2049 – like 2019, that document our progress at these stages of discomfort so that we can look back and say, man, like, do you remember what it was like when when we were in a society where people of non-binary gender identifications weren't treated as equal or, you know, where people uh, of different sexual orientations weren't treated as equal? Like, how crazy was that? That was the fucking dark ages. And yet it happened. And yet it happened, you know? And yet we lived through generations where people were disenfranchised and disempowered simply because of the way that they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, that's why these movies are important, in addition to the just being beautifully beautifully ambivalent and compelling and philosophically deep. They are also important because they show us how fucked up we are, and they give us a chance to to reassert our humanity and our common, you know, what we're, what we're striving towards, and to have conversations like this one, which Micah and I are having sitting on the floor of a bathroom <laughs> in a cabin... <laughs> During a cyclone bomb, I just wanted. This has all been just an excuse to you bring up cyclone bomb. You literally just wanted to say that. But but we're sitting Thank here you. in a cabin, and the kids are sleeping outside, and I'm thinking, man, there's nowhere in the fucking world that I would rather be right now than having this conversation with these people because this is human, and this is connection, and this is what Blade Runner is about. And so I, I just thank you guys. Cyclone bomb. Absolutely. Cyclone bomb. <laughs> Cyclone bomb. And just again, thank everybody for being on, for, for Micah for coming on. Again, yes, wow. Evie and Dan for being on. And if anyone has any, any of our listeners have any feedback for us and they want to kind of get in on the, in on the conversation, please, uh, I will, we will provide a, a number that you can call in and leave a message or you can feel free to, free to write us through our Facebook page. We would love to hear and we have heard already, even before this episode is even out, we've heard about what being a replicant means to other people. Uh, uh, one of our fans shared... Uh, Alexander House. Right? Yeah, Alexander House shared a story about he's, he is um, disabled and, what, and how he really identified with being a replicant because, he's, because of his disability. And so we would, whether you're disabled or whatever, or transgender or gay or straight or whatever, we would love to hear back from people... Uh, and what they think about this episode and how it, because again, this is what science fiction is about. It's about the grand questions. How do we, how, how do we see this playing out in our lives? And uh, so we'd love to hear from you and we're going to provide that number for you at the end of the show. So thanks everybody yeah, for listening. And, and, and that number, just, just to be clear, is, is right in the show notes in your podcatcher. So if you just scroll down, yeah, you'll see it. There's, there's the phone number to call to, and there's also fields of Calantha. There's a link to it, which is our discussion group. 
and 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 our email address as well. And we check those things constantly. So they do. It's, it's it's right it's right there. <laughs> yeah, as, as Evie can personally attest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, y'all. Thanks for being on. And I guess that's a wrap. To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.